Ernest, what's up? Look, I want to put you on to something that's been making waves in the personal finance world. If you've been relying on Mint to manage your finances, I got some news that might startle you at first. Mint is no more. But hold on, because every cloud has its silver lining. And in this case, that lining is Monarch Money. For those of us searching for a robust, user-friendly alternative, Monarch Money is stepping up to the plate. And from personal experience, it's hitting a home run. Let's get personal for a moment. Managing finances can be a maze of confusion, stress, and time consumption. Believe me, I've been there, jumping from one finance app to another, hoping to find that one platform that simplifies everything. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design transformed my approach to managing finances. What truly sets Monarch apart for me, though, is its collaboration feature. With money being a top Discord trigger for many couples, the ability to seamlessly manage finances with my wife has been a game changer. No extra costs, just shared goals and clarity. But Monarch isn't just about managing your current finances, it's about building your future. Saving for that dream house, your wedding, or a once in a lifetime vacation becomes not just a possibility, but a reality with Monarch's intuitive tools. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal held it as the best app for savings growth. Monarch Money represents the next evolution in personal finance apps. It's an ad-free haven where your experience is the priority, constantly refined based on real user feedback. It's everything we've been asking for, intuitive, powerful, and relentlessly focused on user satisfaction. Now, for a bit more practicality, Monarch makes transitioning from Mint a breeze ensuring you can bring all your tags and categories with you. It's intuitive design, customization options, and commitment to privacy and an ad-free experience make it stand out in the sea of competitors. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial. Earners, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. 
With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over here and start using it now. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL is still in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Enjoying, enjoying our time out here. And this is a this is a very special episode for a few well, different reasons. Long overdue. Yes, yes, yes. So Daryl Freeman. You guys are re- you're really nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> really nice to me. Daryl Freeman Sr. This is going to be an interesting conversation because, so if you're loyal listeners of Earn Your Leisure, you know that we interviewed Slim and Husky. Shout out to the boys. Shout out, shout Mo, out to EJ, Clint. Shout out to the whole team. Love um, so those guys have a unique uh, pizza operation that they're running. And they, they're from Nashville, Tennessee, but now they have um, they have a shop in Memphis. They have a couple shops in Atlanta. They just opened the Sacramento yep. shop. And uh, we were talking about, you know, that they're more than just restaurant tours. They they have the real estate play behind it and all of that. So when we did the episode, um, I guess one of the guys had yeah, must have forwarded yeah. to, to Mr. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Freeman. And it um, turns out that he's actually one of their mentors and business partners, I just learned as well. So that started the conversation of, like, yo, y'all should interview him. <laughs> and then, Mo was like, he's the OG. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's like, all right. So keeping in the, the Nashville. We interviewed a few people from Nashville now. We got actually. a head out there. We got um, Snoop. Why don't we it's pack it up right now? Go to the plane. <laughs> part two. Part two. Yeah. Part two. You, 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 want, you want to talk about first. So this is the first time somebody's flew in to the interview. Not oh, yeah. like commercial, like literally like, hey, I'm leaving Tennessee with my plane to fly to Atlanta right now. He did. That's a first. He did. He did. He flew him he flew himself private plane to the airport, did the interview, and then he's going Ferrari shopping. So so might Dow- be a B roll for this. <laughs> Dow Freeman Sr. So Serial entrepreneur, founder yeah. of Zicon, um, Zicon, Zicon, computer computer services, and it's an IT company. He actually sold to BG Staffing. Now, he started in 1991, sold it in 2017 for 23 million dollars. 23 million. 23 million. Let me break it down for you. Okay. 20, 19 million cash. Okay. A million of their stock and a three million dollar earning. Okay. It came to 23 million. 23 million. It had two thousand dollars in it. Stuff. That you started, started with. Yeah. That's, that's a good rate of return. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I mean, I, there's a stock broker here somewhere that put those numbers in. <laughs> don't let that go over your Please head. don't. Please don't. <laughs> He's also the co-founder of Reliant Bank. He is a uh, real estate investor, big-time real estate investor. He is the co-founder of Pinnacle Construction Partners. Partners. Um, he also is the chairman of S3 Asset. Recycling Solutions Company. Anything I'm missing, Troy? Uh, he has a two-dollar general. Two-dollar general. Dude. He, he competed. He completed, not competed. Completed ten Ironman races. Yes. I mean, and I and he's a his okay, stock guys. investor. His <laughs> stock investor. <Okay>. <laughs> so so, so I, I think we got it all. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, I'm trying not to hit the table. I, 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 so, yeah. yeah, his reputation precedes itself. So, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for joining. I was just about yeah. to say thank you for thank joining you. us. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, nah, no, no, sure, no problem. So let's jump right into it because this is an interesting conversation I was telling you. We've never had anybody that has um, sold their business. We've had a couple people that's been offered, um, you know, buyouts, but they, they haven't taken it. So you've actually built, you built a business and then yes. you sold the business. And now you're in the process of actually helping other people and teaching them that game, right? So yes. can you walk us through that, that first process? Because it's a long process from 1991 to 2017. Yeah. It's a yeah. long process. But how did... What was that steps into building that business and then selling that business? So uh, I started the company in an office the size of a closet with $2,000 in savings from my wife's credit cards. I'm still married to her. Congrats. Lost a couple of those credit cards along the way, but we got them back. <laughs> uh, so it went from one person to about 300 people. And the main things to, when you're building a business, you want to build stability. You want to build, you want to get customers with long-term contracts. You want to create a history of performance. And you want to build a business around people, not around yourselves, around yourself. And so what happens most of the times is the entrepreneur builds the business around his or herself. And so I built the business from 1991 to somewhere in 2006 or seven. I built it from... 10,000 in sales to about 16 million in sales. But I recognized that I couldn't take it any further because I didn't have the skill set. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs are the CEOs because they started the company, but they're really not qualified Mm -hmm. to be the CEO. So I really wasn't qualified to be the CEO, but since I owned all the stock, (laughs) I was the CEO. But I recognized one day when I built this team of great people and the sales were stagnant for a couple of years, I recognized it wasn't the people that I built around me, that it was me that was the problem. Mm. And so I fired myself. So in building a business, don't build it around yourself, build it around people, find, get long, you know, be it for long, long-term contracts, build it around people, establish long streams of revenue. So I fired myself, and I hired a CEO of a company that was one of our competitors. And he had been with a company that had gone from zero to over $100 million. And so I offered him the president and CEO role at my company. And so now you got this nice little package that is not built around you that people are starting to look at to say, man, I could buy that team and that company. It's not Dale Freeman. It's actually a, a, a company that stands on its own. So he took it from $16 million to about $40 million. A year? A year. Oh, okay. 16, I'm sorry, $16 million a year in revenue mm-hmm. to about $40 million a year in revenue. Our conversations would go like this. I would say, why don't we try this? I was the chairman. He would say, he would say back to me, when I tried that at the other company, this is what happened. So he came to the table with a bunch of experience, right? And so we, I built a company around people, got long-term contracts. Uh, I had an outstanding accounting department because you need to have numbers. Mm-hmm. They, they, need to be, uh, they need to be numbers that are, you know, all your TCs be crossed, all your I's need to be dotted. Every year, even though I didn't have to, I got a certified audit. I got all our numbers audited every year. And so 
when we got to about 40 million, we got, it was like a, we got to 40 million, but we couldn't get any higher. And I recognized at that time, I had the $40 million team. <laughs> I didn't have the $100 million team. It is. Before, when I was leading it, I had the $16 million team. But for me to go from the $40 million team to the $100 million team, which was my goal, yeah. goal, I would need to replace those team members. But those team members were like family to me. And so I decided as, at that point, as opposed to bringing in a whole new team, that it was time to sell. Yeah. It, was, it was time to exit. And it was a perfect point because many of our contracts were at their beginning stages where they had the most value. And we had a, a long history of stable customers that we had built. And we had built, a, even though I'm an African-American, I did not build a black company. I built a quality company. Mm. And so when you do that in the marketplace and you create cash flow and consistent EBITDA, people recognize green. So I approached a, a, a banker here in Atlanta and said, we're interested in selling. And we talked about the business and what it needs and you know, what needs to change in the business, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, hey, I can make those adjustments. And so we put the business, we went through a, a process with the banker. Now, choosing a banker is, that's a very important decision because you want to choose the best banker for your industry. So I chose the best banker for the information technology staffing industry, a banker that was selling two or three businesses a month. I mean, they were, they knew who the buyers were. They knew who, was, who would be interested. They knew how my business should look. And so. How, how does that search process work, right? Like. I'm a person that has, I want to sell the company. How do I know, like, this is the best person in the industry? Like, so wait. I interviewed him. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I interviewed him. So I wanted to see who was the best in the business. So I called a couple of VC funds, uh, VC people, and they said, well, if we're buying a company, we normally will buy it from here. And so we found a guy by the name of Alan Bugler, Child's Advisor here in Atlanta. He was terrific. I mean, he, you know, he, he brought, he brought the, when, so we, we, we put the package together. He brought the players, the potential buyers to the table. And we met with them, had drinks with them, talked with them. The first time, the first offer was like $14 million. And I said, guys, here's the other thing. You got to know what your value is. I knew that wasn't the number. You walked in with it in your so, mindset. So how do you value? Because, all right, so in my, if, you, if you're making, if the company is making $40 million a year. Or gross. Gross, gross. right, right. Yes. Um, so how did you decide? Because I always heard this like, like was it ten times the the net that you're bringing in? Is that like a rough hand? No. So it it, it varies, but it varies by industry. industry. So in in the staffing business at that time, businesses were businesses were selling for anywhere from five to seven oh. times EBITDA, and it, it that did. What is EBITDA? What's EBITDA? Uh, income before taxes, interest, depreciation. That was an okay. acronym. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an acronym. <laughs> okay, I got you. So where they where they 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 kind of level out, you know, what the business is worth if you take out if you take out what you paid in taxes, what you paid out in depreciation, what you paid out. I think I said taxes. Uh, what you paid out in interest, and so it kind of puts the business on a, a level playing field. So you strip all those things out mm -hmm. and find out what the actual cash flow of the business is. And so 
in our business, I, I sold it for about five, six times EBITDA. Uh, and so that's what it was, that's what our business was selling for. Now, I am now in the recycling business, information technology recycling business. business. The multiple for EBITDA, sales for EBITDA in this business is eight to 14 times. So it has a chance to be way more valuable than the first one. And so that's how you, so you you determine what your EBITDA is, and then you know in the marketplace what, what it trades at. And one way you can do that is you can go to the stock market and find an IT company, you look at their stock and see what it's trading at, the market cap, and then you look at their EBITDA, and then you can, you can calculate the multiple from that. Okay. Because what the, the market cap is what the company's selling at. So, so you sold, all right, so five times yep. what you were kind of bringing in net. Without EBITDA. EBITDA, but yes. for layman terms, kind of similar S- to net. Similar to net, but... So you knew you had that $20 million number. Um, so when they came at 14, the first offer, what was your response? Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but, nah. but was it a negotiation or was no. it just like flat no, out? No, it like, was no, a flat out no. I'm good, okay. Yeah, I'm good. And how many yeah. other offers came before that $20 million? That, Offers came in different ranges. And so sometimes people, <clears throat> they may offer you, that. they may say, well, hey, we'll give you $14 million cash, cash. We'll give you $4 million of our stock. And another four million in earnout. So, all I cared about was cash, because if I took your stock and it didn't do anything, and if your stock is private, it's worthless to me. Right. Right. And if I took four million in earnout, earnout means I got to perform for a certain period of time to get that. Well, I didn't want that. I wanted the majority of the sale to be cash. So, so the the, the so un- nineteen million cash, and a million of stock that was publicly traded, that actually doubled when I had it. So, and then what was the three million? Yeah, the, the earnout. Yeah, that's the part I'm, I'm thinking what's, about. What's so earn the earnout part, are you still working? You sell the company, but you're still working, and you have like things you need to to meet goals you need to meet to reach the, to the three million. So or how does that work? I'm, I'm gonna so now I'm gonna take you back to when I fired myself. Okay. And hired the person. The earnout, so it was 19 million cash on April 3rd and a million stock. Then a $3 million earnout that was over a two year period based on the company's performance. Right? All right. And so since I had a team in place, I didn't have to go and do that performance. All right. Because we no. had a team in place that was. Running the company, and when the when BG Staffing bought my company, I explained to them that I had a CEO and a great management team, and that they ran the company, that I didn't. And so they put some targets out there for us to hit, for the team to hit, and get mind. to the three million. Right, I have the hundred million dollar team. We're definitely going to hit these numbers. They hit the numbers. <laughs> I got the three million. Now, what I also did when I sold the company, there was a there was a group of people that had been with me for a long time. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> They'd been with me for a long time. And I had a good friend of mine who started the company with me back in 1991 who had retired a, a whole bunch of years back. And so I called them all into a room, and I said, you all have been with me for a long time. I remember I just got the wire. And I said, here's a check. Here's a check for you. A check for you, a check for you. Big checks that they ain't never seen before. 
And then one individual uh, has two. He had two small kids, and I said to him, I said, I know why you're working because he's, he's my age. I know why you're working? You got two small kids. You're working because college fund, et cetera, et cetera. I said, what I want you to do is you go home to your wife, and you find out from her what it's going to take to send your two kids to college. These kids were eight, ten years old. Mm-hmm. You go home and find out what it's going to take to send them to college. You come back tomorrow and let me know what that number is. He went home. He came back, told me what the number was. I told my CFO to go in his office and cut the check for that number. When you build a business around people, you got to take care of your people. And you got to realize that the people that are on your team, they are the ones that make the company valuable. It's not you. And so you see all you see a bunch of companies today where they built the companies around them the, themselves. You can't grow that way. When everything has to flow through you, mm-hmm. it's hard to grow. And it's not you're not building value because if you want to go sell it, they know that if you if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, you that it's the party's over. But if you build a team that has value. Yeah. I, can we go back just for a second? Because I'm thinking the and I guess in 2012 when you decided like in order for this company to grow, I need to step back, I need to find myself. What's that process like? Is it like a you have to like weigh these things in the mirror or is like because I would imagine this is like an ego check or it's a humbling experience. Like, yeah, what man, was so that that's, that's, that's the other thing. Man. You, you don't need to have an ego as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You need to have confidence, but you don't need to have an ego. So I knew, now mind you, at $16 million a year, I had a great lifestyle. I had a plane, but it wasn't, I mean, I had a little plane. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the plane I got now, but I had a little plane. I was thinking like I had a car, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was a comfortable lifestyle. But for the people around me to grow and to develop, I needed to grow that company to help them grow and develop. You follow what I'm saying? Got you, got you, got you. You know, people that have been with you for 10 years, one started out as a junior accountant, for me to need a CFO, I need to grow that company so she could grow into that role. And so the, growing the company for me was more so about the people than the money. When, when I sold the company, now I told you I started with $2,000 in savings. My payroll was two, I mean, my payroll was a million dollars every two weeks. In 91? No, no. Oh, oh, how much? 2017. 2017. In 2015, 16, 17, it was a million dollars every two weeks. It was about the people. And so we ran a company that was about the people. I'm doing the same thing with S3 Recycling Solutions. It's about the people. So when you walk away with the 20 million, a couple questions I have about that. Um, It's good. (laughs) I assume so. First question answered. I'm going to do it again. Way more, I believe. I believe. <laughs> yeah. What is the strategy to to mitigate taxes? Is that, or is just you just have to because it's like ordinary income, right now? You no, it's not ordinary income. It's uh, it's tax at uh, capital gains. It's capital like gains? having a stock. Capital gains tax. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but you do. But see, <clears throat> you go through all that math in your head when you set the number twenty million or whatever the number you set. You set that number in your head, and then you go through. You meet with your attorney and say, "This is what the deal looks like." You meet with your accountant, this is what the deal looks like. 
And then they tell you at the end of all of that what you're going to have. And then you go to your wife and say, okay, this is what it's going to be, and you realize that you're set. You're like, okay. Now, you can't go out and do stupid stuff. But if you go out and make reasonable investments, you're good. I mean, your kids are good. And you know, if you make reasonable investments, their kids are good. And so it wasn't a big, it wasn't a, and for me, you know, unlike somebody who gets a big contract to play some sport, I had accumulated over the years all the things that we had wanted. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have to go out and buy another house. We already had a house. I need to go out and buy a car. We already, I mean, all the things that we had wanted, all the, we had ran, a, we had lived a pretty simple lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I had a plane this big, but I could have, have afforded a plane this big, but I didn't. Right. And so that's the other thing is stay in your lane. We always stayed in our financial lane. Even though our lane may have been this big, we lived in this part. So even today, I stay in my lane. He said, well, Dad, why don't you buy a jet? Ain't in my lane. Yeah, I got. I if I bought a jet, I got. I might have to think about the fuel costs. I might have to think about it. The plane I got now, I have to think about it. And you you stayed on, with, after you sold the company as well. I'm right? still on. So I'm still <laughs> with them. Can you, can, can you explain that? Yeah. So uh, had a two year earnout. So signed a two year contract with them, to 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 be on their team for two years. It turned into it's a, it's a it turned into a it turned out to be a great relationship because their CEO and me similar attitudes towards people that the company's built on people and so it's a great partnership. So when the when the two years were over, they said let's do it again, and then three years came, they said let's do it again. This is the same CEO that you brought in? No, this is the CEO of the company that bought my company. Okay, 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 okay. Now the cool part. About the people that were on the people that were on my team, the, most of them are still there, and they've taken on more responsibilities. So when this company went out and bought other companies, they asked my CEO mm. to run those companies. That's big time. That's big time. So, so it's all about having the right people on your team. When when you had Zykron, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you you own the land that the, the company was on? Oh, because you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's Absolutely. another that's the other play to it. Because it's like, yeah, you sold yes. the company, but you still own the land. Yes, and and so uh, Zycron spent a number of years. You know, we well, first of all, at the beginning, I couldn't buy anything. Right, 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 right. We were paying our office space was 150 square feet. Our rent was 150 dollars. Then I moved to the National Business Incubation Center where we stayed for five years, kind of a low rent incubator help us grow kind of place mm-hmm. then when we left there i bought a building uh, in north nashville uh, over near the projects and people were like well why would you buy over there i said because i wanted to be an inspiration to the people in this neighborhood mm-hmm. and so and plus i bought the building it's our building i'd rather have a place that i own in my neighborhood or our neighborhood than be renting at some 25-story office building in the middle of downtown. I want to own it. Mm-hmm. Where I grew up, my family, there was five groups, five families, my, my mom, her sisters. We were all renters. I don't want to rent. I don't want to rent. Right. I don't want to rent nothing. I don't even want to rent a car. 
<laughs> I don't want to rent nothing. And so, yeah, we bought the building, and then we outgrew that building, but I kept it. Yeah. And now it's leased. We bought another building. I kept it. The company that bought my company stayed in it for a year, paid me rent for a year. And then, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, I love yeah. it. That's yeah, it. That's, it. that's, that's so, the key. But, but I, I'll tell you a funny story about that building. So they stayed in it for a year. And then I decided it wasn't a good decision. I decided I was going to sell it. So I bought it for 600000 Put three hundred thousand dollars in it, so now I got nine hundred thousand in it. I decided in two thousand seventeen, after two thousand seventeen eighteen, that I was going to sell that building. I put on the market for two point four million, and a guy came and said, "I'll give you two million for it. Take it or leave it." I didn't like the way he talked to me. I told him to get lost. He talked to me as though I needed to have the that I need like I needed the money like mm-hmm. it was a desperate. And then I got to thinking about man, all these years I've been buying real estate. Why should I start selling now? So now my daughter on vacation in a, at our home in the Bahamas last week, she came up with a new mission statement, which is the Freemans ain't selling nothing no more. Real estate wise, that's our new mission statement. We ain't selling nothing. Real estate wise, because. Real estate, you think about when you have kids and they have kids and they have kids, you can, it's easily, you can easily pass it down. So, yeah, so wherever Zycrum was located, mm-hmm. uh, the corporate office, now in our satellite office, we didn't own those spaces. All right. So in that process, and I'm thinking, when does the uh, Pinnacle Construction Partners come in? Because if you're buying the real estate and maybe you're building it, is, was that the vision? Like, I'm going to have a construction company in the event that I buy these spaces? No, Pinnacle Construction Company came out of – uh, a, a large, there was a uh, large uh, convention center being built in Nashville. I can't think of the year that it was, 2007, 2008. And so me and a friend of mine named Michael Carter, we pursued that opportunity with another company. Mm-hmm. And the other company thought that, you know, they thought that we started the company just to be a part of that build process, to be, to be like their minority partner. And I said, hey, look, I'm not starting any businesses to be a minority partner, mm-hmm. just to be a minority partner. So we didn't win that deal, but we hired a great CEO to run the company. And then uh, uh, we didn't win that, but we won a whole bunch of other things. And so that business has been in business since 2007, and it's uh, it's located in our building. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the Slim and Huskies play, like you said, we talked about this with them, but – um, Ray Kroc in the founders when he said that McDonald's when he found well somebody enlightened him like McDonald's isn't a real, isn't a um, burger company it's a real estate company so can you talk about that just a little bit more like as far as how you enlightened the guys and how that's your play where it's like even if you sell a business you still own the real estate and then their company will have to pay you so t- you still make money even if you sell so can you talk about that a little bit yeah so uh, when I met the Slim and Hussies guys first of all brilliant Process-driven, way more process-driven than me. I mean, these these guys are about the, the nuts and the bolts, the T's and the, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. These guys are solid. And so when I met them, we started talking. I said, guys, you know, yes, you're in the piece of business, but you're really in the real estate business, too, mm-hmm. whether you know that or not. 
And so why don't, you know, why don't we schedule some time to visit my home in the Bahamas, we'll fly down to my plane, talk about your strategy and what it is, and, you know, and come up with a, a real estate play. And so we, we did that, and so now we, ha- we own three buildings, and we've signed long-term leases with the operating company. Uh, and so now they're renting from themselves. I mean, and it's, a, it's a great play. In the event somewhere down the road, 50 years, 100 years, that they sell that company and they still own the real estate, they don't have, they don't have to sell the real estate. They just sell the company mm-hmm. and continue to get the rental income. So they're making money twice. Right. Making money on the pizza, like McDonald's is making money on the hamburger, and they're making money on the real estate. Like McDonald's is making money on the real estate. So when you see a McDonald's franchisee that don't own the real estate, I mean, they just McDonald's is sending them supplies for burgers to sell so that they can pay McDonald's the rent. I mean, that's. Huh? I mean that. <laughs> they got they have to pay the the, the fee, Talk. which is like a million dollars something like that, just to open a franchise, and they have to pay the rent. And then McDonald's every so many years can come to you and say, "Hey, we really don't like this location no more. We're going to shut this location down." You out of business. You out of business. But if you don't own the real estate. I mean, but if you own the real estate, you can say, okay, McDonald's, y'all, you all can go, and I'm going to put something else in here. That's why I like owning everything. Yeah. Everything. So, talk about that. Triple net lease. Triple net that, leases. What is a triple net lease? Yeah. A triple net lease, I'll give you, as I told you guys before, when I walked in, I don't talk about anything that I hadn't done. So, triple net lease. Yeah. Triple net leases. So, a triple net lease is, for example, I own a couple of Dollar General stores, right? Mm-hmm. I own the building. I don't own the operations. I own the building and the land, right? So I signed, at the time, the leases were 12 years, that 12 years remaining with the option for another 20 years after the 12. And so in that lease agreement, it says that Dollar General is responsible for the maintenance. So if there's something goes wrong with the building, waterline break, you know, roof get damaged, they're responsible for paying that. They're also responsible for, for paying the taxes. So if the taxes go up from you know, $10,000 this year to 20000 next year, they're responsible for the taxes. And they're also responsible for paying the insurance, triple net lease. They're going to pay for the maintenance, the insurance, and the taxes. And what you're going to get every month is a check. So why would somebody do that? Because it's like, to my brain, that leaves the landlord is not. What is the landlord not responsible for anything? Nothing. I'm nope. not responsible for anything. Why would a tenant? Why would a tenant do that? The market allows that. I mean, they, 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 they. All their stores are triple net leases. So when you look at a Walgreens or, or uh, Dollar General, a lot of them have triple net leases. Triple net leases. Does location have to play into that in that process? Well, and so in the case of Dollar General, they pick their locations where they want to be. And oftentimes they'll hire a developer to go build the building, right, where mm-hmm. they want it. And mm-hmm. then a, an investor like me will come and buy the building from the developer. So Dollar General owns a bunch of, they don't, I'm sorry, they have a, a bunch of stores that they lease, they don't own. Mm. So their, their model is not like McDonald's. Yeah. Like even Walmart, I don't think Walmart owns. No, they just they just license the name. Yeah. But you think about or this? They, no, so they don't license the name. They just lease the space. Lease the space. So, for example, uh, me and some friends co-founded a bank. We started the process in two thousand four. 
we opened a bank in 2006. The first two buildings that we built for the bank, we owned them. And so I mean, we put that as a part of the prospectus that the board, some of the board members will own the buildings. Yeah. So we owned the buildings for the first several years. And then once we went public, that, that transaction, we, had, we needed to sell the buildings because it, it looked like we, were, we had both our hands and you know, it didn't look well to the public eye. Yeah. Because now we, we became a public company, you know, you don't want to be on the board and getting a check from the bank for rent. And so, but initially, we before when we were private, we owned the buildings, two of the buildings. So the the, the CEO of the Dollar Generals that you own is is Rod McDaniel. Or no, 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 no. Oh. See, I don't remember. Yeah, because I'm, I'm I'm thinking think about think about this. Yeah, I own two Dollar General stores. Mm-hmm. I, I do nothing with operations. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm not responsible for anything. Nothing. But going to the mailbox on the 30th to get the checks. When you sign a triple net lease, you're responsible for you're not responsible for responsible for anything. So there's the CEO of Dollar General, some man or woman in Nashville that's running, you know, hundred dollar general stores. Right. And they're sending a check out to each Dollar General store owner every month. But they're doing; they're managing the operations. Yeah, no. So I, I was saying, from the standpoint of like when you did that Donald General's deal, and even the Slim and Husky things, the people that you're working with are guys that you've been mentoring. Yes, sense, right. And so, yes. and one of the, the the toughest things to to do in starting a business is getting funding. And so, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. You kind of you know streamline that process by creating Reliant Bank. Yes. And so, like now, <laughs> when you have your mentors and they want to start a business, it's like. Hey, I got a place for you guys. Yeah. Can you talk about like the the thought process so, behind yeah, that and the origin? So, you know, starting the bank, it, it was starting the bank was a, a unique opportunity. A friend of mine named Farzine for those in the van or came to me and said, "Hey, we're looking at starting the bank. Would you be interested in being, in being involved with it?" And I said, "I said yes." And he said, "This is how much capital you need to have to put into the bank to get, you know, help get it started." And at the time, I think it was a two hundred thousand dollars from all the members and minimum. And so I, I did that. But the, the cool part about that is when you have influence or ownership or co-founder of a bank, you can make certain things happen. Now, it's got to I mean, people have got to be credit worthy, but so much in banking has to do with relationships and who you know and, and understanding the process of how loans are done. And so, since I've been at Reliant Bank, they've never told me no. Just, I mean, every so when I was go out and do deals, I knew that I knew how to structure the deal, to, to, to how the bank would like it, and we go out and do deals. And then, with my proteges, like the Slim and Husky guys, uh, just walk them, walk them into the bank and say, "Hey, these are good people. These guys are good people. They're going places. They're smart. They they, they know what they're doing. Let's give them a shot." So after that happens, it's like a board approval and, and things like that happen. So uh, each bank, each bank works differently, but depending on the size of the bank, you may have an executive loan committee. So maybe me, you, the three of us on the loan committee, mm-hmm. and then you got the the uh, the loan officer. She will bring the loan to us, and we will review it and decide whether or not we're going to fund it or not. Okay. But since I am part owner of the bank or co-founder of the bank. 
I know exactly what they're looking for. Right. And I also have the you know, one of the things, one of the five C's of credit, or five C's of banking to get a loan is character. And if I vouch for your character, you may have some deficits in your credit. Or you may not have any cash or not enough collateral, but if somebody will vouch for your character, that will go a long way. And here's the thing, that, here's what I tell small business people all the time. Even if you don't have a banking, you don't have a loan with a bank or you don't need a loan with a bank, what you should do at least quarterly, you should have three bankers that you take out to lunch just to get to know them and just explain to them what your business is. Even if you don't need any money, explain to them what your business is so that you all can get to know each other. Because people do business with whom they like. And for them to like you, they've got to know you. And so banking is very personal. That's why, you, that's why you know, uh, John could call the bank and say, hey, John, hey, I want you, this is John, I want you to know my friend Jim is coming to the bank for a loan. He's using his relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I tell, I tell you know, young folks who are, if, even if you're not trying to get a bank relationship, if you're not trying to get a loan, take some time and build a relationship. That's valuable. Yeah. So what, um, what was the process of you actually like developing that bank? Like was it just a bunch of guys coming together and say, okay, we want to build a bank. Buy an existing bank and just renamed it. Like I'm sure there's a lot of no. like, red tape involved. Yeah, it's it's uh. So I I wasn't the brains behind the bank. I was the I was an I was an investor in the bank. Uh, you know, I, we went, I went through the entire process of getting the charter, raise helping raise the money, putting the money in, uh, helping to hire the management team. Because to start a bank, you know, you you got to go to the state and let it give them a business plan. And you got to tell them who you're going to hire. Mm-hmm. And then you got to tell them how much money you plan to raise. And then you got to go hire those people, even though you don't have any money. You got to go hire, you got to raise a little bit of money, seed money to hire the, hire the team. And then you go back to the state and say, hey, I, I've hired this management team. Here are our processes and procedures. And then the state will say, well, okay, we like your team. We like your processes. You said you're going to raise $20 million. Go back out and raise, get the $20 million, put it in escrow, and then come back to us and all the time. You're paying those people that you've hired, but you, you hadn't opened the bank yet. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the state and say, hey, we've, we've, we've got the money we said we were going to raise. It's in escrow. And then the state says, okay, we'll give you a charter to start the bank on, in our case, January 6, 2006. And then you owe, it's, it's not that simple, but that's kind of Yeah. But it takes money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do that that's deal. a fact. <laughs> <laughs> so outside of everything else that you need, I know you're you're a stock investor as well. Yes. So you was telling us that you um you bought Apple at a crazy price years ago. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to I screenshot. I showed you that. We're gonna have to screenshot it. Yeah. I'll, I'll show you that. Yeah. It's real, y'all. Yeah. So um can you can you talk about that as far as like, I know you said you're a value long term investor, but how important is it to diversify and not put all your eggs in one basket? And yeah, can you talk about like what inspired you to purchase Apple in two what, two thousand and seven? Uh, was it two, it was 2007. Yeah, I got it on my phone. Yeah, I, 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 I got, you got, I got you it in my mind. Yeah. It was 3,000 uh, years. Actually, I was on, we were on vacation, and we were on vacation in France. Yep, and that's what you said. And it was asleep, and I was up on the, on the computer buying stock. But I like buying stock in companies that I see in use all the time. You all talked about this. I mean, if, you, if you're on your Apple phone all the time, mm-hmm. and you don't own Apple, that's a problem. I mean, if you 
I mean, if you if you got Amazon boxes stacked all over your house and you ain't you don't own Amazon, that's a problem. And I don't own Amazon, but that's but, but if you using if you got Nike shoes and Nike this Nike that, so I try to buy companies that that I see people using all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Facebook. I'm an investor in Facebook. And then I'm an investor in some. Uh, we talked about uh, some dividend stocks, but I, I try to buy things that I see people using all the time. And so I may do a little deep due diligence, a little research, but if I see people on the Apple all the time, was that I, your was that your best? Because you said you bought it at five dollars, five dollars, five dollars. So was that your was that your, your greatest stock investment? That was Zycron. Was I told you I put two thousand in and got well, I mean, two stop. billion back? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> Yeah, that was, yeah, Apple I mean, was to, probably the best. To have a five dollar cost basis in Apple, because yes. I mean, was it at one something now? But that's that's not really the yeah. true price because it's split. split a few times. So Apple's at you could really say it's like almost four hundred fifty dollars probably if you would have taken away, taken away the split. Yeah. So to have five dollars cost basis yes. at four hundred and fifty dollars. Not only value, do I have it, my wife has it. Yeah, and my four kids have it. Right, right. So that's and that's part of the story too. It was like yeah. you didn't just buy it. I didn't just buy it for. I got me. for the, the memory. You said it was three thousand shares in the photo. It was like, yo, <laughs> oh, you bought some for you. You bought some for your wife. Yeah. You bought some for your four kids. It's yes, like, of and you've gone through two splits, not just one. Because it just, a, I've gone through a bunch of splits. <laughs> My God, <laughs> <laughs> gone through a bunch of splits. And so generational. Yeah, and so and, and that's how I look at every transaction I do. I look at it through a generational lens. So the first thing I asked you guys when I first came in here, you know, what's your plans? Mm-hmm. I look at it through a generational lens because at some point you need to exit. You need to exit. Mm-hmm. And so being an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is like being at a crap table. And you're doing well, you got all your, your chips stacked up real high. Everybody sees your chips. It's oh yeah, man. Those guys are doing great. Got a new Range Rover. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know that? (laughs) You know, those guys are doing great. The chips are stacked up. But until you do this, you hadn't really won. Because you have seen people at the crap table whose chips are stacked up. (laughs) Shout out to Mike. That's a fact. (laughs) Whose chips are stacked. And they didn't do this. And they COVID lost. hit. Yeah. Or, or 2008 hit. Or something happens. And so that's why you got to plan the exit. So let me ask you this. As far as, especially like for being a black business owner, a lot of times people feel like um, there's two sides to the coin. It's like if we, if we always sell our businesses, we don't have the legacy brands of the Walmarts and we can't build those names. You do know Walmart sold. Did they? Well, they're publicly, they're publicly. They took a bunch of chips off the table. They did, but they, but they still, they, they, the kids still have a large yeah, stake. Yeah, but they sold. But, but so uh, the big question is, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about that? Like, cause I, like I have no problem with it, but like I said, there is, I've heard that from other people, like that, especially black businesses that maybe it's not the best idea to sell because. It's a, it's a great idea for me. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it ain't personal. Yeah, and I, I didn't have a black you business. Can't, you can't have a... I had a great business that happened to be owned by a black guy. Okay. And so, in, 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 as, a, as you know, a father of four, happily married man, 
when you look at your, you talked about diversification, when you look at your nest egg and it's 90% in one company, that's dangerous. Yeah. That's dangerous. And so I've, my chips were stacked and I didn't want something to happen. I didn't want to go out and hire another team to take me to a hundred million. And so business is not personal. And we got to quit thinking of it that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to do a great job. You want to hire great people, provide them great opportunities. But at some point you need to exit. Yeah. Because most of us go out of business. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Think about it. So people came to me and said, man, I can't believe you sold your company. Why did you sell it? I said $23 million. <laughs> got 23 million reasons. But here's the deal. Yeah. Some people came and said, why did you sell it? And then some other folks came and said, how did you sell it? There's a difference there. There's a difference there. There's a difference. There's a difference. How did you do it? That's my question. How did you do it? Not why did you do it? It's very obvious. I started a company $2,000, million, $23 million evaluation. What would you do? What are we talking about? <laughs> That's, not about. That's not even a question. <laughs> what are we talking about? So, so, but I had, a, I had one lady, she was all over me. She said, well, why did you do it? I mean, black-owned company and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, $23 million. <laughs> I, I mean, I just said. <laughs> I mean, Need I say what more? part of this you, do you not understand? <laughs> so, so, and, and so, Zykron. Here, uh, one more thing. Yeah. So, when I got to the, when the company was at $16 million, and I realized I wasn't the person to take it to the next level, and I did a search to find the best person to run the company, it was a white guy. Mm hmm. So I hired a white guy to run this company. Now, my COO at the time was black. My CFO was black. My VP of sales was white. So I had a diverse team of folks. Mm -hmm. People ask me, why did you hire the white guy to run your company? Because he's the best. He's the best. If you got a chance to hire Bill Gates to come run your company, would you say, no, I'm not going to hire Bill because he's white? No. Hire the best people, period. And if you do that, and I tell white people this, and I tell black people this, if you hire the best people, you're going to get diversity. That's going to happen. Look at, look, at, look at sports. They go out and find the best people. That's why you got diversity. You find the guys from all overseas coming to play ball here. You're going to get diversity. And so I had a diverse team because my focus was on quality. So couple stupid questions over the years for me. Well, why'd you hire the white guy? Because she's the best. And look what happened. We won the championship. <laughs> <laughs> and you still trying to figure out how you're going to make your next move. <laughs> that's, that's, that's that, there you have it. Yeah. So the four phases of business, this is interesting. You said the idea, the startup phase, the run and grow, and then the sell. So, um, because I think a lot of times, most people, they just start a business and it's like, they don't really have any plan of like, so like when you met us, you're like, what's your plan? Like, how you plan on selling this? Like, and a couple people have actually asked me that before. So you think every, what's your advice for business owners that's just starting out? Or maybe just already, like, as far as like reevaluating and, and having those four. Start with things. the end in mind. Okay. Start with the end in mind. Where do you want this to be? 
you know, if you're building a house, you got a vision of what you want that house to be. Start with that in mind. Start with what you want that business to be. Start with, you know, uh, who do I want this business to be? What company do I want this company to be like? Oftentimes what we do is we create jobs for ourselves. Our business is it's a job for us. I mean, if we don't go to work that next day, nothing happens. Most of us start businesses. Most businesses just have one person working for them, the owner. So start with a friend of mine named Scott Source says, start with how soon can you replace yourself mm. and hire a bunch of good people. Start with that. Start with the understanding that you ain't the best person for the job. Start with there's 7 billion people in the world. I guarantee there's somebody better than you to do it. Start with let's build it around the people. Start with in my company, I would never sit at the end of the table or the board table. Start with shrinking yourself so small that the people around you can perform, that you don't overshadow them. Start with stretching them and pushing them out front. And they ain't got to all. They ain't got to be in the meeting and say, "Oh yeah, under Daryl's leadership and under Daryl's leadership." So, so th- my team knew not to ever do that. Mm. It was all about them. Yeah. So can we, can we go to and that that's a, a lot of valuable advice. Um, can we talk about S three S three recycling? Yeah, because oh, I'm man, I'm listening to you say that. And I'm thinking like, so what's the vision for this? Because this you is know the vision. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Eight to fourteen. Eight to fourteen. So. <laughs> so we're growing this business, and obviously the valuation. So with obviously yeah. the, the payout is going to be bigger when we we sell this. So you asked me er, before we started. You know, um, tell me not to hit the table. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 asked me why do I invest in businesses, and I have a philosophy, and that philosophy is, I bet on the jockey not the horse. I bet on a jockey. Because there are some people who are winners. Regardless of, any, regardless of the situation you put them in, they're going to find a way to win. They're going to find a way to win. There are some folks that you know, you're like, man. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> he won again. Yeah, he did. She won again. So I bet on... The jockey, not the horse. S3 Recycling Solutions. I met this young African-American CEO at the time. He was 28. They had $400,000 in revenue, four employees. And I said, man, he's good. And I could mentor him. He knows the industry. He had a 7,000-square-foot warehouse. 7,000. Small for recycling. Mm -hmm. So... I invested about 20% of the company, and I went back and bought another 31% of the company, and I went back and bought another, now I own 64, 65% of the company, who owns a percentage, and a couple other guys, but I'm the majority shareholder of the company. I needed to get majority ownership so that when I spoke in the boardroom, people would listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's different>. so, <laughs> this guy's different. <laughs> so, but he was... Sh- Good. And so today, in mentoring him over the, the last four years, it's gone from $400,000 in sales to now it's about a $2.5, $3 million company. So 
from 7,000 square feet that we were renting. You know, I would have never rented. That's the close. I came, yeah, we're no longer renting. Mm-hmm. We bought a 75,000 square foot warehouse. 7,000 to 75,000. 7,000 <laughs> to 75,000. Our warehouse is bigger than a football field. Mm. We have signed four or five Fortune 500 companies to be our customers during COVID. Since March, the company has no debt outside of the the debt for the real estate, no operational debt, and lots of cash. He is killing it. And everybody needs IT recycling and medical equipment recycling. Yeah, my mind when I I was... Everybody, every corporation needs that. And he's the only one in that space that looks like him. And so why can't I push him to the top? So where where are you at now as far as your career? I know you have the um the charitable foundation, like your family foundation. Yes. Like at this point in your life, are you more focused on still building businesses or helping people or a combination of like what's your what's your twenty year plan starting you know, today? I told you that I have several proteges and I tell all of them, if I can't help you add a million or two or three million dollars to your personal financial statement, or if I can't help you make a million dollars or two million dollars, I shouldn't be your mentor. We should just be friends. We should just be drinking buddies. So my goal is to create a bunch of millionaires. That's my goal. I got a friend in Nashville who created so he created we he created so many millionaires we can't even count them, including myself. He helped with me. My goal is to create a whole bunch of millionaires. That's my goal. The other thing, as it relates to charity, we've donated, my wife and I, we've donated at least a half a million dollars to various charities. Next year, I'm going to step my charity game up. And why does, why does that mean something? I want to be winning in, in giving. I want to be winning in giving mm-hmm. because I grew up poor. And I know there are a bunch of people that need help. And so why do I keep investing in businesses? To help, help to make money and help people grow. But also, it, it gives me more dollars to give the charities. It gives me a chance to be more charitable. And so I got a friend named DeCosta Jenkins, and I, I, I talk with DeCosta all the time. I say, hey, man, I, my charity games, I got I to gotta kick it up. So, so you, you've had, a, obviously... Uh, illustrious career, a lot of success, but there has been some failures. And so yes. can we talk about the American Addiction Center yeah. and some of the business, biggest lessons we've learned from that? American Addiction Centers uh, took that company public in, with, with, with a group of folks in 2000, October 2014. Uh, very tough space. It was, it was in vogue mm-hmm. during that period of time. And then as insurance companies changed, as reimbursements changed, uh, it was devastating to the business. And so in that transaction, I think I lost between one and a half and two million dollars. And so uh, that's my point. You, you, you got to get in and get out. But we had a bunch of opportunities. There were a bunch of opportunities back then when things are in vogue to, to get out. And so, but just a, it's a tough business. And there ended up being a bunch of addiction center companies that went out of business. So I learned a lot from that. I have learned more from when the businesses that I've been involved with 
are not doing well. I, I learned more during that period of time than when they're doing great. Because when everything is great, you don't have to look under the covers. You don't have to check the engine. They're doing, it's great. But when things aren't going well, you got to dig in and find out where you're losing money, find out where you're not efficient. And so American Addiction Center was a, was a great concept, but I lost a ton of money. It didn't hurt, though. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. How can the people follow you on social media? I know you got a YouTube series um, where you actually interview people on the uh, Yeah, when are you guys going to come up in the plane with me? Let's, oh, let's schedule it. it. Let's schedule it. That's nothing. Let's schedule it. So I have a, a cockpit conversations where I, I take people up who are successful. We talk about business concepts. We may talk about real estate. We got. I even take take people up who are in corporate America, C level folks, to talk about how they got to where they are. Just some inspirational stories that gives me a chance to fly my plane and interview great folks. And then I'm on Instagram, Dell S. Freeman Senior. I also do a thing called OG Free Game Friday. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> nice cards, yeah, by the way. <laughs> OG, OG Free Game Friday. And that's, you know, uh, I don't, I've learned a lot because people have poured a lot into me. This is not a, I'm, I mean, I'm not a real smart person. I've had some success, but it's because of people who've taken interest and said, hey, I'm going to help you. And so I use the internet and I use the cockpit conversations to whatever they poured in me that has some value to be able to put it back out into the space. And so this, it's, uh, it's it just what it's, I like doing it. And I admire what you all are doing because uh, you bring some real nuggets and you bring some real meaningful information. Appreciate so, that. Uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, I, I, Appreciate I told that. you that when we met downstairs. I'm like, I've known people my whole life. And they know what we're doing and have never reached out to say anything. And you heard one episode, and, like, I can guarantee once a month you're going to send me something inspirational, whether it's you in the cockpit <laughs> or it's you on the <laughs> island. Let me give you the real stuff next time. I, I'll just I think I th- you can handle, man. Now we're going to be in the picture together next time. Okay. All right. <laughs> you should come down to the island, man. Yeah, we got to come. My, we'll take my plane down. We got to come. Get on my boat. You said, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. rent the boat either. Bahamas? Bahamas. Yeah, yeah, Bahamas. I own the boat. I, I got pictures. I wouldn't expect anything <laughs> less. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't expect anything less. Paradise Island. I'm on my way. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Not Paradise Island. That's south. Ex- Exuma. 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 Okay. Island is nice, but we're gonna take you a little. Okay. I've been a Nassau. I've been a Nassau. We're gonna take you a little farther south. All right. And you look here, man. When you and when you fly with me, you gotta take your shoes off. <laughs> no TSA, no TSA, no, no TSA. Straight to the clear you go, you're gonna We're going to drive the car right up to the plane. I'm, I'm ready, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. If we didn't have Market Mondays tonight, <laughs> I, would be, I would be on my way. Recording. Right now. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Pre- I appreciate it. right out there. Don't tip me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I definitely appreciate it. I'm sure the audience appreciates it as well. It's, uh, you know, it's always good to get um, firsthand information from people that have uh experience and have done it and um you know there's no better way to learn than to actually learn from somebody as opposed to like doing it in theory like you mm-hmm. actually did it in real life so a um thank you for joining us and thank you for just being generous because it's another form of charity as well it's like you know being generous you don't have to fly to give uh free information um so that's that's a form of yeah. mentorship and definitely a way of giving back so appreciate that yeah. thank you thank you thank, thank you the thank mentor you. I, i'll tell you what i'm humbled to be here thank you I mean, you guys Awesome, I appreciate you.
Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Troy, housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Y'all know that's our proud to pay program. Everybody that's been supporting, we greatly appreciate it. Y'all know Tier 5 members, y'all get access to EYL University, the number one online school in the world. That is a big fact. So shout out to the earners that are there. And shout out to everybody that's been supporting the merch. We uh, greatly appreciate it. We got some new stuff on the way. Yeah, so thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace.